Hello, and welcome to episode number 59 of Future Chat from Unwind Media. My name is Rob Attrell, and I'm joined each week by my co-host and yours, Mike Attrell. We're also joined by Nick Maddox, our seasoned senior contributor. Every week on this show, we aim to discuss all of the week's most interesting science and tech news. Today's episode is brought to you once again by Audible.com. They have more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word products. Get a free audiobook of your choice as well as a free 30-day trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash unwind, as in unwind media. Their library includes programs from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, and magazine and newspaper publishers. All right, guys, we got a big show. Um, first of all, how's it going? Do we have a big show? It's It was we a slow news a big week. Show. We, were discuss- er, we were discussing that off air. Just I mean, you guys thought it was a slow news week. I have a ton of stuff, and we also have a look forward at the end of the show to Google I.O., which is coming up this week, <gasps> <laughs> which I know, Nick, you are so excited oh, about. Oh, absolutely. I can't even, like, words escape me. <laughs> I can't even. I literally can't. I, I, no, seriously, guys, I can't. <laughs> literally not happening. <laughs> so... To to avoid Nick getting frustrated because we start off the slow the show with something he doesn't like talking about, let's start talking about Mike Babcock and maybe maybe not use any expletives this time. <laughs> well, Mike Babcock uh, represents the future of the Toronto Maple Leafs at least for the next eight years, and my tie-in is that he specifically mentioned that he was going to employ a bunch of different systems, including analytics, to make the Leafs better. <laughs> That's a weak connection. <laughs> well, honestly, like a lot of them are becoming an old boys club. Well, analytics, I can't even believe analytics can't quantify heart, man. How do you how do you quantify heart and, and giver and and compete levels? Like, <laughs> compete. <laughs> Have you not heard like compete? No, I have. Like, That's why it's funny. It's yeah. just the stupidest. Yeah. There is a word competitiveness, <laughs> but I guess that's an awful lot of syllables for some of these coaches. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I don't know. So I, Nick, there, give a, give a backstory to leading up to the news. So what was least nation was on its, on its, the edge was, of their seats. Actually, no <laughs> Leafs nation was, staying in bed kind of depressed that morning because the evening before Wednesday, which was Mike Babcock's deadline that he'd given himself, uh, like a bunch of tweets were going out from people saying, you know what? I, I don't think Babcock is going to Toronto. Like it's just, it's not going to happen. Um, they said, you know, it was probably, he was probably going to stay in Detroit or go to Buffalo and there was maybe one tweet the morning of that was like, well, maybe I don't think Toronto's a hundred percent out of this. And I was like, do you just want clicks? Is that what you're going for? Do you want to just, you know, manipulate the largest fan base in the NHL to actually get us to listen to your stories? I hate you. I hate you and everything. And I'm so sad because he's not coming to Toronto. And then. And then news came out that there was a bidding war for Mike Babcock. And I went, a bidding war? 
Why, that's the kind of thing the Maple Leafs are good at. (laughs) Might be the only thing. Throwing on exorbitant sums of money at people to fix problems? They do that all the time. (laughs) You'll remember the Clarkson trade. We traded David Clarkson for someone who is literally incapable of playing hockey anymore. Just because the contract wouldn't count towards the salary cap. I don't know if you recall yeah. that, but it happened. No, I don't. I think they're also play- actively paying three players not to pay f- play for them or something like that because of buyouts and Nathan Horton. But anyway. Right. And then, you know what I find weird, Nick? What's that? We have a show, you and I, specifically about Canadian stuff and sports. And, it's, not do it. it's not about sports. We don't do it very often anymore. It is about sports. I put it in the description. <laughs> but, uh, but we don't do that on a regular basis anymore. And so we, you don't have any platform to talk about this. Well, you haven't even done a blog post on it, Nick. Analytics. What so... happened to you? <laughs> He's looking for a job. <laughs> we'll talk off air. Anyway. <laughs> and then, so, yeah, it... it they started everyone started dropping out of the race and all of a sudden it's like oh now it's between buffalo and toronto because detroit dropped out because they got to four million and went nope see you later (laughs) good luck (laughs) and so then they said oh by the way san jose and columbus might be in this and then they dropped out and then buffalo dropped out and then there was this like calm before the storm which in actual fact was a press conference by the Argos about changing ownership, which honestly nobody cared about, but nobody was making announcements during that. Then I think it was Friedman that broke it immediately after the Argos press conference finished. And, mm. and now we have Mike Babcock. Mike Babcock. And now we have to wait several months to see what's going to happen. Oh, he, in his first press conference to Toronto media said, he said there was a lot of pain to come. And it wasn't going to be pleasant for many years. And his contract reflects Many that. years. Yeah. Like he, he think, signed on for eight years specifically because that's how long he thinks it's going to take to turn Toronto into a respectable organization. I think Daryl Sutter could do, I think Daryl Sutter could do well in Toronto. Do you? Yeah. He, he has the, he, he has that compete needed to, <laughs> to take them to the next level. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. The best part is if Babcock cannot do it, he gets like eight years worth of money either way. Yeah, he can. I think there's also like a thing in his contract where he can bail at five. Okay. If it doesn't look like they're actually committed to doing it the right way. So, yeah. Right. All right. And he gets his, uh, and he gets his, his oh. early summers off too. So Exactly. He gets an exorbitant sum of money and he gets a summer in which he can actually enjoy it. Not like with the silly Red Wings who are always in the playoffs. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Nick, are you are you satisfied? Do you get out all your Leafs Babcock talk for the week? Honestly, it was the biggest news of the week. I don't care what this show is about. <laughs> uh, all right. So we'll move on to the other piece of follow-up I had. Uh, this is just an article from Wired that uh, I saw... I guess it was Thursday, but it was a couple days before, uh, or a couple days after our episode came out, and a couple days before everything else. Uh, for some reason, AT and T was doing research 
uh, about how bad we are at driving and some of the things that we do while driving. And I thought it tied in nicely to our talk about self-driving cars and how they crashed 11 times. Um, and so I'll, I'll put a link to this, this wired article in the notes for the show, but apparently do, according to AT&T survey, 61% of people admitted to texting while driving or at least while, while in a car, uh, like in a car in the driver's seat. I mean, Oh, okay. Um, and, one third of people emailed like 28% of people surfed the net 27% of people on Facebook. And it goes down the list like that, uh, including 11% of people Snapchatting while driving, which just seems so irresponsible. Well, especially cause you have to hold down the button yeah, yeah. while you're doing it. <laughs> well, I mean, you gotta, you know what? I was going to try and play devil's advocate there and I can't. I just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it should go without saying that cars, again, like I, like I tried to mention last week, cars don't get distracted while driving. If anything, the distraction they have is is things that will harm you, and they do their best when they see that to get out of the way of it or get you out of the way of whatever's coming. Um, yeah, and it says here, in the, one of the things right at the start of the article is, in the U.S., more than 30,000 lives are lost each year uh, to car crashes. And 90% of crashes can be blamed on human error. So, um, yeah, that's terrible. And I heard, actually, just just this morning, this is just kind of triggering my brain. Apparently, John Nash, the guy that A Beautiful Mind is based off of, died in a car crash this morning. Oh, wow. Uh, he and his wife. So, yeah, I'll just say it one more time that I'm super excited for self-driving cars because it means that this human error stuff will be at least reduced if not eliminated when we get to sort of saturation level with it. I want to jump in and say that Kaya suggested we talk about that, the John Nash's death. Yeah. And I was like, ah, I don't really see it coming up. And yet here we are. (laughs) Here we are. I I literally just thought of it as, uh, as I read that 30,000 statistic, 30,000 people died in car accidents in the U S. Yeah. Uh, so if that's, that's it for follow up, I guess, but we have some quasi follow up that, uh, that Nick, you discovered. I didn't even hear about this, which is weird because I work at the place that funds this uh, organization. <laughs> Way to uh, go, so Nick, Rob. Nick, let's talk about, let's talk science. I was wondering how you're going to tie that in. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, let's talk science is an organization that tries to get I think it's elementary school kids excited about STEM fields, science, technology, engineering, math. And they have received 12.5 million over a term, which I am not certain of. Okay. Five years. Yeah. And I don't know. What do you think? Because this is is bordering on East meets West territory. Is it though? Because I mean... Well, I mean, I... I, I'm glad that they've got that funding. That's great that they're trying to get kids excited about it. But if they were truly dedicated to science, technology, engineering, and math, I feel like they might start by not muzzling scientists. I think that might yes. be a good start. That, that is that is true. Or maybe but that's not their fault. Adequately funding actual research, actual basic research fields. Yeah, we'll get there. But what do I know? <laughs> maybe maybe Harper's granddaughter can worry about that one. Hopefully. Or 
Is anyone catching the reference on that, or is that just over? No. Nope. I'm catching okay. maybe part of it, but not all of it, obviously. No, there was... Uh, it was a budget thing. They released the budget, the conservatives did. Yeah. And said they raided the contingency fund of $2 billion, And they said they have a $1.4 billion surplus. And they got called out by the opposition saying, like, so you took $2 billion out of a contingency fund and you're posting a $1.4 billion surplus. I, I don't think that's how that works. (laughs) (laughs) Or yeah, like they, something, some program that was going to cost that much. And they were like, so this isn't sustainable. Like there's going to be a serious funding problem here. And Joe Oliver, the minister of finance actually said, well, I mean, we'll leave that to Harper's granddaughter to figure out. And it was like, what a weird quote. <laughs> like, I, yeah, that's for like two generations future Ted. from now. That's for future Ted to worry about. Yeah. Yeah, basically. So it's. That's funny. Just like, yeah, that's, that's great guys. But <laughs> so that's what that reference was for. Yeah, nice. The best references are the ones you have to explain. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's like jokes. Jokes are funniest when you have to explain them. Um, I think as far as the funding goes, Nick, you mentioned it'd be more useful. The effort put into, yeah, like you said, encouraging actual science being done. But I think the throwing bucket loads of money at kids is kind of how you get headlines and makes you look nice, especially during an election year. So I think that's, that's part of that because people don't care if, you know, LG research gets funded because who cares about LG, but kids learning about sciences and, you know, kids learning about science is important, but there's other important things that are being not only neglected, but like you said, muzzled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So So I coincidentally or not probably coincidentally attended a, because I I work at NSERC, the program that gives federal funding or at least gives part of federal funding to uh, let's talk science. I attended a seminar where we basically, it was called Meet Your Neighbor. So we all gathered in a room and basically the heads of programs talked about the programs. And uh, there's a there's a program in NSERC called Promo Science. And they're the ones that fund uh, initiatives like Let's Talk Science. And uh, hearing them talk about it and hearing what kind of stuff they like to fund, it really made me want to go and look through the list of place the list of things that promo science funds and try to get work there like everything they talked about they like i i i volunteered for let's talk science a couple of years ago um in a high school and we did an experiment extracting or not extracting dna uh separating dna doing like uh, oh, yeah. dna analysis and it was so much fun and the best part i think was at the end of the demonstration uh, my partner and i that we were we did the experiment together with them answered questions about the for these kids about university because i just finished and about sort of what kind of programs they wanted to do any questions they had about the university experience applying to universities it was really great and it made me want to do that more often and on a permanent basis because it kids before you get disillusioned and again it's the same thing with math the way science is taught by a lot of people they really take all the interest and fun out of it, but it's such a fun thing when you actually get your hands dirty and get into it 
Well, I mean, uh, so I think yeah, some like of it's awesome. more fun than others. Of course. I mean, it's not easy, but it's yeah. interesting. And it's, yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. what I what I really enjoy doing is when when kids ask, well, when am I ever going to use this? Or like, why does this matter? Like, I want to be able to show them, like, give them examples of, you know, like, I don't know, like the, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of, like, a scientific principle that you might use. Like, gravity is too easy because we use gravity every day. But just, like, stuff that is, like, formulas, right? And the kids don't like to learn formulas or just crunch algebra or whatever. But it's, like, this stuff matters. Like, when you're when you're building a table and you need to know if it's going to support what you want to put on it, you have to have some sort yeah. of understanding of weight and stress and balance and all that kind of stuff, right? So, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So one of the things in this report that uh, that CBC did on the on the new federal funding uh, makes the good point that class sizes are ever increasing, and a, a lot of the time that means that kids don't get a lot of they don't get a lot of hands on time because there's not a lot there's not enough equipment for it to go around to everyone, and also they don't get a lot of one on one time with an educator. And so doing something like this, where you actually have like we brought our little kit with a bunch of stuff with enough stuff for each student to do things. We bring those kits to the classroom and actually do the experiment with the kids so that they learn, like they learned micro pipetting with the little uh, baby micro sized Turkey baster. Like they actually did the analysis of a banana's DNA. It was, it was really eye opening and really exciting for me to be able to pass along that information that I had learned in university to students at such a young age. Hmm. so I'm really excited about this funding and now I'll have to go and try to get hired at Let's Talk Science again (laughs) Uh, Nick did you have anything more you wanted to say on that Um, I don't know Tamir your sentiments I mean when I was at grad school my favorite part was being a TA and helping pass on the knowledge to people very slightly younger than myself. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just kids yeah, in general. Yeah. I, I think like, obviously the children are our future. So anything we can do to help them is, is good. Uh, so next on to a story that I came across this week, which is pretty crazy about um, the age of humans as we know them. Uh, that being, and there are a number of different ways we can identify uh what we call humans, what we call the the homo species. And I don't actually know if that's the right classification level, but uh I think it's Homo sapiens. Is- but they're these are earlier than Homo sapiens. They're like the first tool using I think I think Homo is when when they first started using tools. But like Homo um, erectus isn't considered a human per se. So modern humans in the would would not be just homo like homo goes back several million That's what years I mean. and not yeah 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 um but so basically the news that they found this week basically says that early humans before they were actually humans uh used tools a lot earlier than they had previously thought so they discovered uh i guess it was in an, in a a small patch a bunch of stone tools with no any no sort of human remains that were dated 
for, I think it was 700,000 years before we had ever found any tools being used. And so it pushes back the record for oldest tool use ever discovered by like to about 3.3 million years ago, like a third longer than we thought, which just, I I think it's really interesting because we, it, it shows how little we know, even though we're on the same planet as these people were, or as these creatures were, um, we know so little about what they actually did, what life was like for them, how they got things done. And I, I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on, on sort of the watching human evolution and, and as outsiders trying to see, like trying to figure out what this means for us, all, all of that. So uh, I don't know. What did you think, Mike? Did you... Did you see this? Did you come across it? I came across the headline. I didn't actually get a chance to look into it. Um, I didn't realize it was that much earlier. I don't think yeah. the headline said it was 700,000. Like, I thought it was like, I don't know, 5,000. And it's like, well, yeah. that's kind of like within your error bars. But 700,000 is, is a substantial amount. And I guess, like, I just clicked on the link now and it shows pictures of, of the tools they found. And I think some of them... I'd consider a bit of a stretch to be, <laughs> oh yeah, that's a tool. Like some are obviously like flaked to create right. those edges and they obviously analyze those to see where they intentionally kind of shaped or modified. Um, but yeah, like, you know, they're, they're not tools in like a screwdriver sense. It's like rocks that are repurposed to do something a bit more than just bash things. Right. Um, like they're sharp. Which yeah, would well, be like the first tools. Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. So, it's it's really cool to see science changing. And, you know, I say every time that something like this happens, it's like, this is like how science is supposed to work. Like you, you continually examine evidence as you find it and kind of re-look at what you thought you knew about whatever. And then that becomes kind of the new path of investigation. And this isn't like, oh, this rocked this evolution theory and... Now it's all changed. This is evidence to suggest, you know, further research. And now yeah. we have to start looking back and kind of, this isn't like, okay, now it's this. It's, well, there's evidence that suggests this. Let's keep looking at it. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's cool that, that this type of thing is found. I know, I guess just kind of sticking with the, the evolution thing that you'll often find skulls of remains that you think are, ancestors of humans like other like smaller people but they end up being like like small children but they think that they're like a smaller version of a human but sometimes it's hard to distinguish like if it's child or adult type thing unless you see other types of bones um but this is kind of more definitive it's like well yeah they're stone tools there's it's pretty self-explanatory so right uh nick did you have any thoughts on on the early humans thing um well one to echo mike's point dynamic science yeah um <laughs> other i have a question for you if you know off the top of your head so what are they saying this is like the genus or the tribe are we talking what do you mean i've now Which? clicked on a couple wikipedia link links and it's kind <laughs> yeah. of interesting it's there's the Hominid, hominidae 
Yeah. Which goes to the Hominine, which yeah. goes into both the Gurulini and subsequently the Gorilla, or the Hominini, which goes into Homo or Pan as the genus. So are we talking okay. like this is a couple, like a couple species up from Homo sapiens or? I, yeah. So it's a couple species up from, I think they're basically what they found here. There's no human remains along with this site. Yeah. And so it's hard to place which we don't, there's no proof that any specific species you made these tools. Yeah. Um, but they dated them to around like the dating of the, the changes to the rocks that they, the modifications that they've made to 3.3 million years ago. And it's worth pointing out that there's a couple pictures on the, on the site that uh, basically what it is there, there are, I think, I think from my reading, there are three different pieces that they found there. Are, so there's the anvil, which is the main rock that you use to hit against and then there are yeah. also hammer stones, which is the rock that you actually hit your tool rock with. And then there's the actual rock that you're trying to make into some kind of okay. sharp uh, edge. And so the pictures they have here aren't of the actual sharp edges. They're of the anvils and the hammer stones. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. And so what they said was, oh. um, what they were saying was, based on the evidence, and these are anthropologists, so they're the people that study humans they study Anthro how tools. yeah all all the social uh intricacies of of humanity and uh so what they said was it looks based on their evidence it looks like people who had done this before like this obviously wasn't their first attempt at making sharpened tools it looked like someone who people who had had some skill and some practice at it but it obviously wasn't like it wasn't an arrowhead it wasn't uh a razor sharp rock. It was just better than someone who had never done it before grabbing a rock and hitting it against another rock and trying to make something sharp. Mm. So it's somewhere in between no tool use and what we consider to be human tool use. Uh, but basically it, it's just going to have to, we're going to have to rethink what makes a modern human because one of the things that we define as being part of modern humans is the ability to make tools. Mm. So, yeah. And there's not a lot else that we have. There's a couple of things like brain size and uh, that we used to define intelligence, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And I think this is just the beginning of, of this, uh, of the results of this that are coming out. Nicole, take a quote from that verge article that they say, they may well belong to a species that we don't know about yet. No bones from hominins, the broader group, including humans and their ancestors, were discovered at the site. So that's why okay. they can't link the tools to an actual species. But they occurred right. earlier than what we understood to be the start of the Homo genus. So, right, right, okay, yeah, yeah. It uh, it also points out here that they don't, they weren't obviously they weren't necessarily looking for this kind of tool when they were doing this research. So seeing what kind of sort of things to look for in these different kinds of stones will mean it will make it easier to identify ones in future excursions or expeditions. Neat. Yeah. 
I'm pretty excited. The, the future of humanity is rooted very deeply in the yeah. past of humanity. Yeah. I guess as a side note, we actually we went to Heritage Park this weekend. And I don't, Nick, I don't know if you've ever been there. And Rob, I know, I think you have. I have not. Okay. I've been around it. I don't know. Oh, you haven't been ever, inside I haven't of been it? in the park. Oh, okay. If I have, it was a very long time ago. So they, they have, it's based on the heritage of Alberta. And they actually have real artifacts from like the early 1900s, late 1800s of Alberta. So like the settlers of Alberta. And, it, and it's cool kind of seeing the rudimentary relatively rudimentary technology that they had back then you know it's kind of the turn of the industrial revolution that kind of thing but that's kind of like to me that was like whoa this is like crazy but when you look at this like the dawn of humanity like it's kind of its own thing to kind of be taken back to like at that point cast iron cookware is looking pretty good yeah (laughs) pretty much (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. any kind of any kind of thing that uses refined ore yeah much more advanced than this. Yeah. So Nick, uh, up next, you have a story here, which I know very little about, but uh, apparently it has to do with seismology. I also know very little about it because I skimmed the article not long ago, but (laughs) also on the note of seismology, because this is a seismology story. Can you hear the God awful racket that the trains are making over my mic? I can't hear it. Oh, good. Cause I was going to say like, if, if I if the mic can hear what I'm hearing, Rob, your editing <laughs> experience is going to be just just delightful. Uh, Hopefully, I can noise gate as well as Hangouts can. Anyway, uh, no, it's uh, some British scientists are using uh, seismological detectors to locate and size some of the explosions that are happening in Syria right now. So this is kind of mirroring techniques that were used to detect uh, nuclear explosions in Nevada and North Korea. Okay. Um, And I think, let me go to this article. Because there was something about how it's kind of difficult to do surface explosions. What's difficult? to do uh i guess it's just how the like how the actual mechanical vibration actually couples to the solid from the air okay or something like that it just makes it more difficult to detect more noisy or something like that Mm -hmm. yeah the Seismology has long been used to determine the source characteristics of underground explosions, such as yield and depth, and plays a prominent role in nuclear explosion monitoring. But now some of the same techniques have been modified to determine the strength and source of near and above ground blasts. Yeah. Hmm. From my understanding, kind of reckoning my geophysics classes from eons ago, Yeah. usually the surface wave is like Nick said, is way too noisy and just high amplitude that any frequency information that might give some insight into the type of explosion that was used to cause that signal is taken away. Like, so you have to look at the lower amplitude reflections and refractions to get that source information. But just kind of skimming the article, it sounds like they've come up with a sort of enveloping process to actually get information out of those surface waves. 
So that's, no. I'm, I'm assuming that's where it's, where it's kind of alluding to with that. Because, hmm. like, okay. I don't know, from doing a course in ultrasonic inspection, like, there, you always have to use a couplant, even when you're, like, you'll see it, it's the goop that they squirt on pregnant ladies' bellies oh, yeah. when right. they're doing an ultrasound. Right. It's because the, uh, like, sound going from the transducer to whatever surface you're investigating, if there's any sort of air pocket at all, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. When you're yeah, looking no. at, so I was going to say, when you're, when, you're, when you're looking at seismic waves, you're, you're pushing the sensor just into the ground. You don't need a secondary material because I guess the contact with the soil and whatever is enough to, okay. I guess, couple it. But yeah, like you're saying, if, yeah, you can't be like above the ground because it's not going to do right. too much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it does seem neat. I guess yeah. that's it. I just thought it was it's really way neat. out of my element, but it seems like it, science marches onward. It's interesting to be able to yeah. take explosions in one place and use them to model. Like it seems like they're trying to model things where they don't have the any information to to actually get uh, size of explosive information or sort of where they're coming from. So it. It's really helpful when you're trying to, when you're trying to de- to decipher where explosions came from and how big they are, to be able to use uh, corresponding explosions that you like that are controlled that you know where they are. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I was also going to say, for <laughs> the traditional right wing thinkers out there, you see. They funded some basic research, and now it can be used for all sorts of military (laughs) applications. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, a a lot of, like, well, not all, but many conservative thinkers are, war, yeah. And maybe if you funded some basic research, maybe it'd show up there. Maybe it'd get some applications. I don't know. I thought it was interesting that they actually mentioned in that paper that you linked, Nick, that they've actually used forensic seismic uh, characteristic investigation in a lot of different practices when it comes to nuclear explosions or just detonations or wherever. They'll use seismic signals to figure out not only where the explosion came from, but the characteristics of the explosion, like size and, and source type. So, Well, yeah, like that was that's how they uh, figured out that North Korea right. had let a nuke off underground. I, which I think is super interesting because it's yeah, like, for sure. you know, they buried it and they're like, <laughs> if we bury it, no one will ever know. <laughs> but like the rest of the world, science is so advanced. That it's yeah. like, yeah, you guys let off a nuke. <laughs> you might have buried it, but we caught it. It's like, it's like, just cough at the same time as you detonate it and they won't notice. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. What, what? what was that? It was, our, it was our great leader coughing. He's he's a very great leader. Much influence over the ground. Stuff. Uh, all right. Are we good for, for seismology and explosions? Okay, good. Uh, up next, I have a story here. Yes. That, uh, again, I, science is really interesting. And this ties back into all kinds of things that we've talked about in past, uh, in past episodes. I think the most specific relevance is to genetically modified organisms. Uh, because the story has to do with genetic engineering 
uh, and they're basically genetic engineers are are working very hard towards biological kill switches, which are basically modifying an organism so that it requires your help or not necessarily help, but it requires something from you to live. It's kind of like building a robot with a six foot power cord. Uh, (laughs) I think what it's kind of like, yeah, is it's kind of like the dinosaurs in Jurassic park where they shut off the, Gene or whatever that allowed them to make okay. lysine, so they had to Spoiler get Spoiler alert. Diet. Jeez. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so sorry. Were you waiting to watch Jurassic Park, I haven't, Mike? Yeah. I, I don't remember that. I've been waiting but, a long yeah, time. Yeah, so that, that's an example. And so now, yeah, I, I at bet. that point, that was something that scientists were trying to do, but now they're actually doing it. And I don't know if it's, I don't think it's necessarily with glycine in this. Um, they're actually using, I think it was tetracycline. Uh, yeah, so they're talking about genetically modified mosquitoes that require yeah. tetracycline, which is an antibiotic. And apparently they're using it to fight dengue fever because that's transmitted by mosquitoes. And so they they basically try to try to get these genetically modified mosquitoes to breed with other mosquitoes and the hope is that if the ones out in the wild don't get don't have any tetracycline, they're just going to die off. And, uh, but it, it, I think the hope is to do it slowly so that it, it allows them to actually breed and then, uh, and then kill off the mosquito. Cause if, if it just, if they, they're born and immediately die, it's not very helpful, uh, reproductively. It, you have to sort of breed it into a species that's going to be successful enough to mate, but then kill it off. It's, it's called a kill switch, but is there actually like an active activation of it? Because it, it mentions it once the tetracycline is activated, but it doesn't I say think, well, what activates it. it. It's more like, I guess it's, if you want to go well, literally about it, it's more like deactivation. Deact- like they, if it doesn't get tetracycline in, in this specific case, if it doesn't get it, then this it'll just eventually build up and kill the mosquito. It's not like, yeah. Oh, yeah. So if the organism, oh, okay, it's not so if like it flies it, away. It's not, it's like just it not needs, getting it anymore. Oh, okay, gotcha. It needs something sense. in the environment, and like if you if you flip a switch on to like make some kind of uh, spray a cloud of tetracycline, all these mosquitoes, yeah. only the mosquitoes that have this modified genetics will drop dead or anything. It's, it's the reverse of that. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was like in, I think it was a Bourne movie that the one agent got this. Oh, like, no, that was Mission Impossible. That Mission Impossible. The guy had like a remote detonator. Ah, I was oh, waiting to see that. that. Yeah. Spoiler alert, by the way. No. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I've actually never so seen times. any of the, one Mission the first Impossible DVDs I ever movies, bought. So you should. It's interesting. Three, yeah. That was Mission All Impossible the- 3, though, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> And similarly, in one of my favorite movies, The Naked Gun, they have a mind control switch right? Okay. in which I think they want to kill the queen. Yeah. There's a gun hidden under home base. But <laughs> yeah. So one of the, one of the hard things to, <laughs> to kind of get to in this discussion is that there are 
potentially nefarious uses for this kind of thing. Um, it's similar to what uh, we've talked about Monsanto and their genetically modified crops that basically they don't seed. So you have to, you have to keep buying seed from Monsanto because they're, you can't just breed these plants on your own, but there's, there's not a whole lot right now to stop them from making a strain of corn that requires Monsanto feed in order to actually survive. And so you could start to breed any, any uh, type of crop that you buy from Monsanto that not only does it not reproduce, but you have to buy their whatever fertilizer, which has the some sort of chemical that allows it to remain alive, which obviously would not be good. And uh, I'm obviously, I, I think while they're doing this, the government is or governments around the world are careful to not allow things like that to happen. Obviously, there are scientists on these on government panels. Whether they're good scientists is another thing uh, entirely, but probably not. No. They're probably not mad scientists though. I mean, I'm, I'm like 50 to 60% sure yeah. they're not mad scientists. Yeah. The, the deactivation thing kind of reminds me of the poisoning that exists yeah. where you slowly build up someone's immunity to like arsenic or something. But then once they stop, getting I've never arsenic, heard that with arsenic, but I've definitely heard of die. Yeah. Kind of the same thing. Or just with whatever. I don't know if it's arsenic, but yeah. I think just That's interesting. I think a lot of talk you can do it with I wanna say any toxic substance, yeah. but I'm not gonna say it. It'd any, be interesting <laughs> with the specific ones anyway. You can like water. You keep giving people water <laughs> and they build up a tolerance to it, and then you take the water away yeah. and they die. I guess that's uh, kind of all right. Thing. Nick, up next you have a story which was all over my radar this week. Uh so spyware from government agencies, what's going on? Uh, government agencies are using app stores to implant spyware, which I just, I think it's kind of funny because, I mean, you could do this like big overlord thing and like have a super secret, super advanced technology center going that would just intercept and decode everything or you could just you know make an app mm -hmm. like if it was some stupid game like candy crush or farmville or something you just develop a really addictive game and right. include spyware with it and you're way further yeah, ahead it, it's really terrifying and i think the biggest thing that when, when the story broke is that the this file or this uh, this document that talks about this is from 2012, and so it, it, if we're discovering now, hearing about it in 2015, that was three years ago. It's probably happened to some degree, and <laughs> that that's the I one that's they the got game. Me with 2048, so addicting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Threes was better. Threes was better Wasn't than Threes. One that cost money. Yeah, they they didn't get me. Yeah, played twenty forty eight like crazy though. So I, I guess the implications of this are the scary part, the the worrisome part. Uh, we don't really know for sure what 
has come out of this or what, what they're, if they were actually successful, as far as I know, I didn't, I didn't see that they were, it was that they were successful, just that they were trying to do this. They were looking to hack in slash socially engineer their way onto these, these app stores. Yeah. Yeah. They've got, apparently it's big in China and India currently, but the Mm -hmm. app is one of them anyways called UC browser, which is apparently huge elsewhere. And it just, it's been sending data up until just recently. Something to keep your eye out. I don't know that we have much that we can say about it. Cause again, it, it, this just came out this week, but yeah. And this is breaking too. Like this is, this is the, and it has to do with the five eyes group, Canada, us, Britain, Australia, New Zealand, a special, special intelligence arrangement. But yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, honestly, if I'm thinking about it, the best way to get data from people is through their phone. Just like, Make some Facebook. stupid app that everyone likes and include a vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, <laughs> fa- it said in the article, Facebook uh, teamed up with UC Browser. So, Just skimming through the article, it, it almost looks like they relied on re- link redirects to the download of the, for the Play Store. So it's actually the clicking on that link that kind of redirects. I don't know if if it redirects to like a spoofed version of the app or because I I can't imagine that the actual published app right. on the that, app store that seems less likely unless it's spyware. sponsored by not sponsored in the like right? giving the money kind of way, but like yeah, yeah, unless they partner with yeah, yeah. So so that just there, there's a blurb in the CBC mm-hmm. article that mentioned that they that they used redirect links. So when it's like oh download your UC browser here in whatever link, then when you click on that link, it takes you to your Play Store to download it. But by clicking right. that link, I it kind of yeah. like flags you to be downloading that spyware too. I, I'm not sure how that how that works, but I know like for me, whenever right. it says download this app, I yeah. usually just go right to my Play Store app to download it. I guess I'm safe. Yeah, well, that's what I do too. Also, I find it funny because it's like the Five Eyes Alliance targeted servers where smartphones get directed whenever users download download or update an app from Google and yeah. Samsung stores. <laughs> Samsung and Google declined to comment. Yeah, no I kidding, they declined to comment. It's like, yeah, yep. that's a pretty self-explanatory. No Don't want to talk about store. it. Well, you see, I'm going to go straight up uh, Google fanboy for a moment. Ah. See, uh, since Android is so open, it, it, it was easy um, to find. Was it. It so easy? who knows what the problem was? I would think it's, since it's so open, are. it was so easy to get spyware on there. Uh, I know, I know. I don't, that's not the openness I'm talking about, Rob. Because it's a different kind of openness. It's the then, back then and why forth. Why would you say it, Rob? It, the pot of, of you big Google silly. and Apple. All right. Are we, are we done with that? I have, 
I have a really weird story here. Anyway. We've talked a lot about wind energy in past shows. And yeah. Oh, I I also came across <laughs> this story. Go on. Uh, I'll give you my criticism later. So basically these are wind turbines. They look kind of like they look kind of like baseball bats, but with corners instead of rounded cylinder in that they get they're thin at the bottom where they are in the ground and then they get thicker uh, as you go up. Uh, but they don't have blades. It's sort of like the, the Dyson bladeless fan, but for but the reverse. So I, I don't really know. I don't even know what to say about this, Nick. Why don't why don't you tell me your criticism of these bladeless wind turbines? Well, for one, Don Quixote is shaking in his boots because <laughs> there's nothing to hit now. You just yeah. just a big pole. How do you stop that thing? Fair. How, Rob? How? But I I I looked at this and I'm not sure I understand. Yeah. Like the whole shaft of it shakes or something like that. It's yeah. based on like turbulent wind flow around the corners or something like that. And it causes something inside to spin. Right. And that's where you're getting your energy from. One, I I believe I looked at this. And I'm still not sure like, what the energy conversion is like, mm-hmm. like what the comparison of generation is. So I don't know if you there's found a video in like this that. link that talks about how it, it relates it to that their inspiration came from that uh, the bridge disaster in Tacoma, where the the bridge wasn't. The, sorry. Yeah. So it's a harmonic. Basically, taking the yeah, vibrations that. This, that yeah. a pole stuck in a windy place would would generate, and using the motion that the wind generates to, I guess, uh, it uses an alternator that converts the mechanical movement of the thing to electricity, which seems it seems reasonable to me. I don't know. I don't. I can't say for sure whether it's efficient compared to a. Okay. Okay, I saw a different article. I didn't actually see this one when I came across it, but the turbines cost around 40% less. Uh, mm-hmm. Or the energy produced will cost around 40% less. Okay. Because it has to do with maintenance. Because it doesn't have, it says it doesn't have moving parts or gears, but I'm pretty sure you have yeah. to have at least one in order to generate electricity but it's uh, yeah. so it takes you know less lubrication and maintenance because you don't have the big blades turning but it also captures mm-hmm. around 30 percent less energy than a regular mm-hmm. turbine yeah. so i mean obviously the the yeah. cost of energy has something to do with the energy return on energy invested but I'd, yeah, I'd be definitely. curious to see how all the math works out on that. The, the Verge article states, it says that it gives that same 30% less efficient figure, but the justification is that you can fit right. more of them per unit area. So if you if you generate 30% less per turbine, but you can fit more turbines, then oh. for a given area, you're still you can still at least break even possibly with conventional turbines. Plus, you don't have, if they are cheaper, then that's an added bonus, too. 
So another thing I like, I'm assuming with something like this, if it's capturing less energy, it's wind shout. It's wind think so. shadow is going to be smaller then. Right. So awesome. maybe that would yeah. be another thing you could cram more in. Yeah. Cause I've heard this, like, yeah, I've heard actual design of wind farms is kind of interesting because you have to take into account the prevailing winds and, you know, you have to try and maximize each individual turbine within the farm because otherwise yeah. you're going to, right. Like you're just going to cannibalize the your own thing power that I generation. See here yeah. is that they are silent. So I wonder if they would cause, they're not silent. I don't think anyone's arguing. So that are the other ones are silent, just that they're not as, I don't know. Have you, I've been near them. Have yeah. you actually been to a, a, a wind turbine? Like not that close. How close? You can hear them. <laughs> Cause like Kai and I went to Manitoulin Island once and we came cause they, I think they wanted to install three because then okay. the entirety of the Island would be energy self-sufficient. Yeah. And they installed one or two and then <laughs> people just lost it because wind turbines are evil. And Don Quixote syndrome took over and they just stopped. Okay. But we actually came across one of them mm-hmm. and we found an access road that just goes right up to it. And so, I mean, this is me, so I don't know what I expected, but <laughs> I got there and was like, well, there's nothing to do. Just hang out and look at it for a minute. But like Kai and I were talking at about this volume and you could kind of hear a little right. when the turbine or when one of the blades went by, but that was about it. Granted, it wasn't a particularly windy day. Yeah, I imagine there are levels. There are yeah. levels of volume that these would generate. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I guess. I, also, other fun note on that story. Eventually, Manitoulin Island did get the full number of turbines because the native population on the island were like, what? You mean if we put this on our land, we could reap the economic benefits? Yes, please. And so they are finally up because the Native American mm. or the Native American tribe there, you know, they were That's a happy ending. more progressive and open to wind power. Yeah. So one of the things that this article also says is that right now you can only tune these turbines to a specific okay. speed of wind as far as the harmonics go, right? Oh, oh, um, right. So they're, but they're saying they're working on being able to f- adjust the magnetics on the fly to still right. optimize for a given wind, like any wind speed, if it changes or whatever. But I think there's a lot of kind of complications with these that don't exist with conventional yeah. turbines. And it's, it's almost like it's solving a problem that isn't there in a sense. I, I think it's good that there's innovation, right. but I, I don't know if it's. Yeah. I like necessary. that. Well, it talks about uh, the, that they're working on different sizes and the, the, mm. the one that's called mini is 41 feet tall. It should be ready next year. So um, <laughs> if, if the 41 footer is a mini, I, I can't wait to see what the real, the full size one 
I will be. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, nothing. consider that's only like 10, 15 <laughs> meters. Like, that's, yeah. That's nothing. That's yeah. like. That's true. Us together, we're almost half yeah. that tall. 40 feet. Oh, geez, that is really small. What? You guys are, you guys are 10 Didn't feet tall. Can you say tall half each? as tall? Wait. We're, together, we're half as tall as it. Right. You said 40 that makes feet. Sense. Well, 18 feet? That's close enough. You guys are 20 feet tall together? What? <laughs> yeah, you you're guys are in nine this. feet tall. <laughs> I was including you, Mike. Oh, I thought. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> all right. I, like, think, I think we can move on. <laughs> you guys are giants. Gotcha. I just had a hard time when we yeah. say standing on top of each other, like two people. Don't I can be see ridiculous. Standing, you know, one on top yeah, of each other. Three yeah. people, that's, that's quite a. Stretch. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, that's just crazy talk, guys. <laughs> Three people. That's completely infeasible. Are you gymnasts now? You know what? I tune in every week to yeah, see what voice Nick is going to do. <laughs> I think that's his old man. <laughs> I don't even know which that one was. Yeah. That's that's an old man. Uh, it's like uh, incredulous old man. Yeah, an incredulous uh, okay. or skeptical old so, man. Yeah. I think we can safely move to the, what I'm calling the Google I.O. preview section of the show. We have a few, we have a few things that have happened with Google in the last week, Ooh. but we're also going to take a look forward into what we expect next week or this, this upcoming week, the 28th and 29th, I believe. Uh, and we can also talk about, uh, the things that we have heard are coming. So Mike, why don't we start with you? I'm going to go a little bit out of order here. Uh, so don't, don't call the dogs on me, but uh, Mike, why don't you talk about the <gasps> new, a new Android based OS coming out or rumored to be coming out. <laughs> Mike release the house. Yeah. So we, we have, a he's code gone name. off order one too many times. We have a code name that's been released out into the wild one way or another called uh, Project Brillo or just Brillo. And it's rumored to be the mm-hmm. Android-based OS for Internet of Things products. Uh, so we saw Android Auto, Android Wear, Go- Android and... Fit. There's a Google Fit. There's one other one. Okay. That's Google Fit. That's, its own. That's not a separate OS, though. Have either of you used Google Fit? Because I just I don't have it and started Android. using it. I downloaded it the other day, yeah. Oh, I like it a lot so far. <laughs> yeah, it's cheered for me the last three days. Nice. Oh, sweet. I've met my one-hour goal of moving. <laughs> I've, been, I've been sick, so <laughs> it's been very disappointed mm, in me yeah. the past few days. Oh, it was Android TV. That was the other one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, so they released those as Android-based OSs for various products. So now they're kind of they're rumored to be moving into a standardized OS for Internet of Things, such as thermostats, fridges, dishwashers, microwaves. Okay. Um, so I know I always say standardization is good and better than everyone coming up with their own thing. Easier for products to talk to each other and integrate. So this can only this can only be good news, I think, if they release uh, standards and kind of guidelines right. for how to design OS and OS and how things work. <laughs> so 
I'm, I'm looking we, forward to booting up my Android toaster to make toast. In should the we? Uh, should we link to we the competing standards? Um, yeah, because comic? Microsoft is also working on Internet okay. of Things platform. Samsung is working on one. Uh, I'm sure. Well, Apple's working on uh, their HomeKit, which is going to be sort of home and appliance related things. Yeah, yeah, it'll be. So before, there were three competing standards, and Google was like, there has to be a better way, and now there are four or five competing standards. Right. Before, there weren't standards, though, but, in yeah. the Internet of Things. Oh, okay. I'm, like, yeah. Like, okay. Nest, I don't Nest totally had their understand own, this. Like, Nest had their own thing. Nest had their own line of products that all could talk to each other. But if you bought, like, a smart dishwasher, it just ran on whatever OS... Right that was needed to make it do what it needed to do. And you could link it with your phone and whatever, but it wasn't, it, it's, it's a very, it's a lot more internal OS. It's yeah, not exactly. a UI based OS. I'd imagine like usually you'll have a little display to kind of make it do stuff, but it's not, it's not the same way as Android auto or, or Android Wear. it's right. like a very internal talking to each other type OS. Um, but yeah, so that's that's been rumored to be talked about slash released at IO. Um, so well, Rob, what else do we there have? There have been a number of things. I mean, the biggest thing on my system. mind is that the next version of Android is going to be released or going to be announced at least probably a beta shortly thereafter. Uh, Android M, as they're calling it now, because they are they, they they're playing this game now. Where every year they wait longer and longer between telling you what letter of the alphabet comes next and telling you what candy or sweet based thing it's going to be named after. Um, I recall seeing a video last year. Uh, it was something like a medical waiting room and they had a bunch of different candies. It was like they were doing auditions for what, uh, what candy that started with L was going to win the Android L uh, moniker and Lollipop ended up taking it. They were ta- there was a long talk about, oh no, Key Lime Pie was K. But uh, there was a whole long list of people. Key lime pie was yeah. talked about a lot. No, yeah, it was, it was rumored was for like a year Kit. that it was going to be oh, called this rumor. Pie, but then yeah. it ended up being right. KitKat. Yeah. Which yeah. seems like it was just really so they could partner up with KitKat and do a bunch of cross-promotion. But that's the story for another day. But so there's a bunch of talk about M. We can talk about... I don't, I don't know if it's yeah. worth talking about what candy start with M. So, I guess... Sorry, move, before we move on past M, yeah, I think a big question, and what actually is a guessing game every year, is what version number it's going to be. Right. Because they've, they've thrown us for, for a loop in years past. Because everyone expected KitKat to be a I, number upgrade. Yeah. But it wasn't. Then Lollipop was. And we're already at 5.1 for Lollipop. Right. So, do you anticipate M being 6? I I want to say no, but I feel I, it's mostly arbitrary now. Yeah. It probably will be because the trend for, on one hand, it probably will be, but on the other hand, it probably won't be because Google does things differently than most people in the tech industry. What I've noticed the trend go, that most software developing is now taking, uh, specifically Facebook is the worst for this. They don't even do point releases anymore for their apps. They just, 
basically so every two weeks they go all right this is now version 29 <laughs> and like a month ago we were at like version 16 yeah. it just like it just takes leaps and bounds so, but google tends to give really really weird either very specific or very nerdy app update numbers and so i can definitely see them sticking with like something like 5.2 but they could also just as easily, because it's meaningless, jump to 6.0. I, th- I feel like I'm going to throw in my hat in the ring for 6.0, because it, from what I've heard, there are a bunch of pretty substantial upgrades. Whereas it felt like in years past, they were sort of iterating on something that was already pretty thought out. I don't know. Do you agree with that? You guys, you guys actually work with Android phones on a day-to-day yeah. basis, so you probably have a better handle on it than I do. Which will before which upgrades have you heard to be coming that 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 well, you think would warrant a full number change? I've heard a lot of work related stuff, a lot of okay. um, stuff relating to notifications getting overhauled, and there's a lot of different things that could mean. I think that it, you you kind of see a, a new think piece out every week uh, where people are complaining about having way too many notifications myself personally when i get a notification or when i get like say 10 notifications every hour it's not that i don't want to be notified of these things it's just that a i don't really want it to intrude in my life all the time and i don't want to just have these things pile up and have to deal with them and i i don't know what a good solution for that is but i think the first company to do that is going to win a lot and i think google is They've they've done a lot of work and now they have notifications in like even Chrome has notifications built in. I feel like they're in a good position. What you could do for the notification side is just turn vibrations and or sound off. Yeah. But still have the notification go. So when you check your phone intentionally, it will be there for you to check. But it's not going to intrude and say, hey, Facebook just wants you to tell you something. But it will be there when you check it. So you know to check it if you yeah. weren't going to check it already. So that could be a solution yeah. for that. And that's probably Does what it, I tell anyone. If they felt they're yeah. getting too many notifications, like, we'll just turn vibration and sound off. So it still shows up in your notification bar, but it's not going to tell you to check it right away. Notification is really interesting because like, d- does Android have a do not disturb yep. mode? Yep. I know that at least in, in series past, the screen wouldn't light up at all when you get notifications. Maybe it still doesn't. Like you can set it up so just the LED goes right. off. Uh, but I keep my phone in my iPhone and do not disturb most of the time. Okay. So it doesn't, and I also don't really answer my phone unless it's someone I'm like, I mean, unless I'm expecting a call and it's someone I know. But uh, yeah, there's, there's a ton of notifications that I just don't want to have to, I would love to be able to look at a screen full of notifications, go like, yep, yep, thank you for this information. This is very helpful to me. I like all of this. Now that I know about it, can you all go away now? Yep. And not have to sit there and tap a bunch of buttons to make it yep. all go away. What I like is they actually I, just... Sorry, go ahead, Nick. No, I was going to say, like, because I don't know what your experience is, Mike, but I really like how you can just dismiss the notifications on your phone. Like, you can just pick it up from the home screen and be like... Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, good. Yeah. It seems very fluid to me, but yeah. maybe that's an OS difference. The Yeah, the, so the step with, the uh, thing I liked about Android when I tried it out last summer 
uh, for three or four weeks was that easiness. Like you basically just swipe it away with iPhone. It, it airs more on the side of user caution. So every time you want to dismiss the notification, it takes at least two oh, individual right. actions. You just have to swipe, to swipe it one it way and then, and press then it. right. Yeah. 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 No, I, I remember I'm thinking about that now. Yeah. With, yeah, with Android, what I like is with the Android wear interface, cause you get notifications to your watch as well, that when you dismiss it from your watch, it doesn't dismiss it from your phone, which, right. which I, which I would prefer. Because, like I like it that way. I don't want it to have to dismiss it from my phone as well because my watch is kind of like I'll check to see what it was and I'll clear it. But when I check my phone, I still want it to be there to remind me to check it. Mm. Right? Like I don't want it to disappear there too because I'll forget that I had it. But if I rely on my watch to kind of be my urgent notification menu, then right. once I once I decide it's not urgent, I'll just dismiss it from there. Again, yeah. I don't have a smartwatch yet, but <laughs> in my hypothetical scenario yeah. where I have one. But. It seems like there would have to be a way for you to, when you're dismissing a notification on your watch, if you push the button, it will it will say dismiss, and then it will also give you an option to dismiss it from everything. Maybe if you like long press it. Yeah. Yeah. Something I, like that. I'd have to play with the interface at all you, I haven't yeah played with you'd it need something all. in between yeah but have you ever tried on an android no. watch no i uh, places don't have a setup where you can actually try on android watches which goes back to i think google should have a google store because i think they'd sell a lot of watches that way yeah i imagine they would yeah actually I, I maybe i should go in like best buy and ask if they have smart watches to try on because I know they have they have Samsung. They have a Samsung table set up. I should see. As long as it's an actual working model and not just a yeah. Like they have in Best Buy. They have the phones that aren't actually right. real phones. The or fake like phones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man, that's annoying. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we, so we've had yeah. Android M, the Brillo, and your case. So I'll go on the record as saying I think it's going to be a five point two update. Okay. I don't think it's going to be a six just because I don't feel they've even perfected, if you can say perfected, five yet to warrant okay. another. Okay, let's go move on to six. I think they need a 5.3, 5.2, 5.3 to kind of say, okay, we've done as best as we can with this. Let's go on to the next thing. So, right. It's definitely, it's definitely possible. Yeah. I just think the message that they try to send, they're they're trying to compete with other companies. It's not just them. That's so true. I feel like if they don't they don't release a full yeah version update, people will be like, oh, they're left leaving behind and That's true. Unless Google and Apple both agree to do a point update instead of a full update. <laughs> like, all right, Apple, you guys stick with eight point four. We're gonna stick with uh five point two. We'll just call it <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. Nick, did you have any? Have you seen any of the news at all about Google? No, no. I Although, imagine you will be excited when you get it, though. Oh, uh, maybe. Like I was really <laughs> excited to get the last set of updates. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Although I'm, I'm really curious to hear about your story number seven. Is 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 that happening soon? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Rob, Once we get done with the I/O stuff. Yeah. One more thing I want to see from IO 
is the next generation of the Moto 360 mm-hmm. and potentially 361. <laughs> no, 720. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I also want to see this is, this would be more of a long shot, but I guess might always come up with a long shot, but a Google branded smartwatch would be pretty cool. Like a Nexus but, smartwatch almost. But I think just like a Google watch, like, right. But I think that's a long shot. I would be really excited by a a Nexus watch though. I think that would be great. Because that is already their branding. There was no, there was never really a Google phone. There was a Nexus Android phone. But they've all been the LG Nexus or the Samsung Nexus. It's, it it, it hasn't been, I guess because Google doesn't technically make hardware. Like, yeah. Right. So even when they owned Motorola, they, it was Motorola devices. Yeah. Now, Wait, if you, how easy is it to develop apps for like a smartwatch? Really easy. Okay. If you know how to develop. Well, because yeah. you're you're not really developing the app for the watch. You're you're developing oh, right. your app it's... to work with the watch. So you're basically okay. just adding in a, a quote unquote, or not quote unquote, but a so to speak couple lines of code to tell it to talk to the watch and deliver notifications. Now, what if, what if? Mike Babcock took, took, you know, the, or the, the tons of money at their disposal (laughs) and developed a smartwatch app and just had all the Leafs wear a smartwatch while they were going around the ice. And then you could like track possession and stuff like that in real time. They're working on that. And our watches. I think they should actually do more tracking for sports. Like even just putting like chips in like skates to track like speed and I don't know, just analytics. That'd be cool. They, they have that. That is real. And it use they use computers instead of chips right now. Interesting. Um, there, I, we might've mentioned it very briefly when we did the, what was it? Sports technology yeah. episode way back last summer. But there are definitely companies that track every player that's on the court, field, rink, whatever, and they track their location. They can tell you immediately, like they're, they're, uh, in soccer games in the English Premier League, sometimes you will come up and like there'll be a statistic like, this guy ran eight kilometers in this game so far, like 8.32 Oh, that's kilometers. not human tracked? No, that's oh. computer tracked. And uh, same in the Indy, Indianapolis, like, or NASCAR, yeah. when you see the live little things that show how fast they're going and all that. That's it's all already tracked Uh, in hockey. I know, I think it's mostly people entering things into computers. Yeah, it is, but they do track that kind of stuff. And Mm. I know they're working with the NBA last I heard to do that as well. Mm. Track everyone and how far they're going and how fast and all that. Yeah. Mm. The amount of statistics they have is staggering. It's ridiculous how many things they have. Every time there's a hit, apparently in the NHL, I was I was listening to some kind of thing when I was I was watching the the NHL when I couldn't watch games live. I would sit there and watch the the stats page and all the live updates. It would show you who's on the ice, where they were playing. Every time there's a hit in hockey, it registers. They they note down who did it and who got hit. It's crazy. Yeah, well, there was it, not long ago there was a hit that uh, Steve Dangle, a uh, hockey blogger and podcaster now yeah he just got hired on with cbc for the playoffs 
And uh, there was one hit where he looked at two giant people running into each other, and he went, I wonder... And he consulted with like an actual science guy or something like that and said, in case you, so just put up a stat. In case you were wondering, that hit between these two players was enough to power a 60 watt light bulb for four and a half minutes or something like that. <laughs> That's really interesting. Mm. That's awesome. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so was there anything else you want? We want to say on Google. We're mostly looking to. We just wanted to say, hey, we're really excited. This is coming up. We'll be able to discuss a lot more what actually happens. The biggest things, the most important things to us that happen next week. Uh, so I think for now, unless there's anything urgent, we'll move to the couple of things. I've noticed that leading up to conferences, companies like Google and Apple will dump out news that they don't want to have to talk about. Uh, if there is going to be an action-packed event, and both of the companies have been doing that, like a lot of the time in the June event at WWDC for Apple, they talk about their new line of they're updating how they're updating the line of computers, uh, and that takes like twenty minutes, half an hour, and they go through all the specs and talk about the updates. But in the in the last couple of years, they've when they've had a lot to talk about. Otherwise, they just like put out a press release like, oh, we updated these computers and they did that again this year. So I'm excited. And Google as well have, have been going like, here's an update, here's an update, here's an update yeah. uh, to things the week leading up to it. So I'm, I'm hoping that means there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. Well, like the Google Photos thing. Yeah. They did officially release that as a change, right? They put it in Drive, but I don't think they've split it off yet. I think that's coming. Oh, is that still just a rumor? Yeah. Oh, okay. They did put it in Drive, though. They right. put all your Google yeah. photos into your Google Drive. No, because I know you wrote a story on yeah. on the Google Photos dissemination from it's still, Google Plus. The rumor now, the latest report is that it is ready to launch at Google I.O. So okay. it's not going to be like, this is coming. It's going to be like, here it is today or this week. Right. It's going to be rolling out now. Yeah. I'm excited to see what comes with that. So. Uh, Nick, we'll talk now about the thing that you have been most excited to talk about since we started talking Google. Uh, and that's this thing for Chrome, an experiment that they started uh, mm. called... Oh, yeah. So for those of you that couldn't interpret that uh, hum, uh, Google's Tone <laughs> Chrome extension, letting you share URLs based on a, a sound. And I think it's a sound that we you can even hear. Um, I've read that the Chromecast or I've heard that the Chromecast already uses, uh, I think it's ultrasound. So sound we can't hear to transmit information between devices. But this is a browser that literally, it just makes the sound like a modem would like a modem uses, uh, or old modems like 56 K dial up modems used sound to transmit information. And this extension is now letting you share a URL from any, browser that has a microphone and speakers to another browser that has a microphone and speakers which i just think is amazing <laughs> uh it's a kind of thing where it's not limited by sight but it is limited by like your your speakers obviously have to hear it to pick it up uh i read that there was an early version of this that made it sound like it sounded terrible like it was painful to listen to for humans not that you're like physically painful but like it was not a pleasant sound at all and so this is more 
the kind of thing that you, I haven't actually tested it, but it's more the kind of thing that it's like a dial-up modem. So you'd hear a bunch of beeps, but it's not like a sustained tone that's going to be unpleasant to listen to. Um, so I, don't, I, I didn't install this because I don't have any two computers that are that are ever in the same room or near each other, and I don't share a lot of links that way. But uh, this is definitely an interesting thing, and they're talking about using it in classrooms. So you could have a teacher play this tone, and then all the students in the classroom would just be able to pick it up, and they would all go to the same page. Mm. So you wouldn't have to actually send a physical link to someone, or you wouldn't have to direct them to to click on something to to open the page. You would literally just say, okay, open your browsers, everybody, and then they would hit the button, and it would all open the same page. Mm. Cool. Yeah, I think that's yeah. really neat. That's a really innovative way of looking at file sharing, or uh, not file sharing, but I mean, you could even do other stuff. Sharing. Yeah, yeah, you could do other stuff like other than links. I'm sure. Well, just yeah, because well, you're, you're basically using coding a heck of a longer time, but yeah, <laughs> like you're encoding bits relating to the letters or to characters in the URL, I guess, just in a sound. So yeah, hmm. yeah, it shouldn't be sending bits. I'm assuming there's some kind of header to let them to that the computer listens for, and then once yeah. it hears that, it'll start picking up whatever information is being transferred. But yeah, it's, it is the technology, or at least similar to the technology that was used in the opening days of the internet before everything became fiber optic, and it's kind of it's almost like a throwback to that time, which because it is a very informal and robust way of sending information yeah. through the air. Yeah. Um so I don't I don't know you guys. Um we'll talk about this, but this is this is kind of edging on after show. You guys want to talk about hangouts now or you want to play the end music and and then talk about it? I kind of want to get your thoughts on on the the hangouts app that okay. was updated yesterday or not yesterday Friday morning. I don't do remember show. it being updated, but maybe it was definitely updated. All right, we'll we'll talk about it in the yeah. after show. And I have an after show story too. So okay, perfect. We can talk about that too. Yes, we well there, there is yeah. There's a lot to talk about in the after show. Uh, so for now, I want to thank you guys once again for listening to this week's future chat. Uh, we've had a couple of live viewers bounce in and out throughout the show, so uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, if you are the one that did, uh. There's, there's actually a question here before we completely wrap up. Um, someone going by the name Let's Find Out. They appear to be some kind of science uh, publication with a Google Plus page um, asking how long we're on today. So to answer that, we're probably going to be on for another 20 or 30 minutes. They, it looks like they're sharing uh, some kind of, I think it's mostly astronomy videos, but science and videos. So thanks for, uh, thanks for that. Thanks for uh, watching live. All right. So, uh, yeah. So as I mentioned, thanks for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank once again, audible.com for helping support the podcast. You guys can get a free audiobook as well as a free 30 day trial. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash unwind as in unwind media. And uh, you'll help support the show. You'll help support audible. Uh, it's something that you can do that doesn't cost you anything, but it helps us out. Uh, we'll be back next week with more science and tech talk. Uh, clerical note before we wrap up the main show, we're moving over to unwindmedia.com 
from futurechat.me. Probably going to do that in the next week or so. Uh, so if you are listening to the podcast version, I'm very, very sorry if you end up getting a bunch of unread episodes uh, showing up in your feed, but that's because we're changing over. Uh, for me, I only got one that showed up unread, but Mike, you said you had one of your clients show up a bunch of episodes yeah. unread. It just duplicated all the episodes I downloaded before. So Yeah. So uh, I apologize if that does happen to you, but if it does, you are welcome to delete the feed and get it back again, uh, or you can just mark all as read. Um, but yeah, so we're moving over to unwindmedia.com slash future chat, and that's going to happen in the next week or so. Um, so that being said, this week, my task for you is to go to unwindmedia.com slash future chat and check out the new home of the show, which looks quite fancy if I can say so myself. Uh and you'll be able to find past episodes there as well, a couple blog posts. I'll be moving all the back episodes over slowly uh, over the course of the next few weeks. But uh, that's it for now. Thanks for tuning in, guys. See you next week. See ya. Toodaloo. Okay. Glad that's out of the way. So, uh, Nick, the Hangouts thing. We'll talk about that briefly first because I think it's not going to take very long. If you go into Hangouts now, it looks different, A. Eh? Uh, it looks more, much more material designy. Mike, would you agree with that? I, I assume you're on the Mac now, right? So yours yeah. looks very different. Uh, Wait, like, not on my phone, but on... On desktop, yeah. Well, see, I have... Yeah, so... I don't know. Maybe it's, it's a s- subtle change? The top bar is now green, like fully green, and it shows the your little tagline if you have one set up. There's a big green plus button in the bottom right where you can start a new conversation. I if you haven't updated, it means there's something wrong with the frequency of your computer updating, and you probably I, just start. are there are there multiple Hangouts extensions? There's one that the very old one uh, that kind of sticks to the bottom of your screen. That's the one I have. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that, yeah. That's that one's like eight months old now. Yeah. Okay. I, that's uh, why I wouldn't have gotten the update. I don't think I even have the Chrome app. I've just been using, you know, what like through Plus or whatever. Oh, okay. To chat, like the in-browser one. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I want to see if I can show you guys mine. Yeah, just screen share it, maybe. It looks a lot more like the Hangouts app on Android, though. If yeah. what I'm seeing is correct. It, it it yeah it does look a lot more like the Android one. I'll share it if I can. I don't know if this is gonna work. It might just crash the browser. So is it the Hangout plugin or the on the Chrome Web Store? On the Chrome Web Store. So it looks there. There's a transparent version, and there's a full screen version. That is what See, it looks like. Mine says is added. The Hangouts offered by Google.com. And it there's says two. there's two Hangouts that are authored by Google. Oh, that's if you go to the, silly. If you go to Hangouts.Google.com, you'll be able to see the latest version. But basically, it gives you a side-by-side oh, there side it is. Hangouts thing. offered by Google.com. And there's also... Oh, because it's, uh, it's called the app. Wait. Chrome app? Chrome app. I think they're both Chrome apps. No, the one I have is an extension. And that's one I have right now. And then there's a Hangouts offered by Google.com, and that's an app. Okay. Uh, in my 
experience. They've been very similar uh, technically. Like they show up right next to each other because they're both alphabetical. If you go to Chrome colon plugins, they show up right beside each other. I don't know if you guys ever do that, but I, I uninstalled the old one because it, uh, otherwise they would just both be sitting there open. Uh, not Chrome dash plugins, Chrome slash extensions. Yeah. They're definitely both extensions literally because they both show up in, if you go to Chrome colon extensions. We might have to come back to this, but basically the, on Mac, it used to look pretty ugly like it was it had to be contained in this window that was really weird but the new version can now become its own full screen app on uh, mac and so i've been doing that lately just putting it on its own space so it's sort of similar to what i would do with imessage or with uh with slack in the recent past but i really i i love hangouts i'm not ashamed to say it i love it you guys trying to get it, or are you just... I, I just downloaded it. Okay. You'll have to let me know. Um, Where do I... I don't see it. Oh, because it said it showed up when I go into the the apps menu. Right. Um, I think it's worth getting. I, I don't know that it's better, but it's definitely better on Mac. It looks very similar to the older version if you don't have... If you're on a Windows computer. Um. Like it's just a little green circle that can move around anywhere on your desktop. So, Mike, do you want to tell your story? Sure. So, I, I guess assume this is the story we talked about. Yeah. yeah so this is semi follow up, I guess. But the flex delivery service that we had addressed in maybe two shows ago, the Canada Post yeah, one, the Canada Post flex delivery, where you can, it's essentially just getting a PO box, but they've made it a lot easier to sign up for one and use it it's now a free service that you can have mail or just deliveries directed to your this p.o box of your cho- of your choosing and it looks like they let you choose as many as you want to be assigned to you that you can use yeah um so i i picked one that's close to work and close to my house depending on where i anticipate being um but the idea is that you're not needing to be at home and get that dreaded missed delivery slip and then have to go across town to the depot to pick up your delivery. Yeah. So I actually had the opportunity to test this service out. Um, I was getting shipped something and I was like, Oh, I'll try out my flex delivery service. So I put in the, the PO box information that Canada post specifies for whatever location you're using. And lo and behold, you know, three or four days later, I get this delivery slip on my door at home. Yeah, from that from Pure Later, and I was like, "Well, that's kind of weird." Like, I didn't even give my home address. So it turns out that I when I and my fear was when I first signed up for the service, I saw the address that Canada Post gives is a PO box, and yeah. I just remember from years past, we'll say, "Oh, you know, we don't deliver to PO boxes," and so that was my first. So you know, it's kind of it's good that it, they have it, but I can see that being an issue. And Rob, I think you had said, "Well." Who wouldn't deliver to a P.O. box, right? I think that was kind of... Uh, well, my thought is it's a virtual P.O. box. So it's it, any place will deliver to a post office to right. forward on to... Like, that's where Canada Post... If you deliver through Canada Post, 
and you're not home, it goes to a Canada post office and just they hold it there for you. So yeah. why wouldn't they accept packages right. on behalf of? But anyways, right? Yeah, it's a technicality that's called the PO box. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So anyway, I contacted this company that was sending me this thing, and they're like, "Oh yeah, sorry, you don't deliver to PO boxes, and your home address was on file, so we just sent it there." And I was like, "Oh." <laughs> Okay. And you didn't even ask me. And you didn't even ask. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I would have given you my home address if I wanted it shipped there. But anyway, that's a side point. But I guess I was disappointed because my initial fear actually turned out to be true the first time I tried it. So I guess we'll see how many other services go that same route with not accepting the P.O. box. But yeah, like it's. I don't know, maybe you'll start seeing a change with, with people because in the same way that now people don't have home phone numbers, I think yep. you'll start seeing people that don't want their home addresses as a shipping address because they're not yep. home very often or they're it's yeah, not convenient it's to not have convenient. It to their home. And like yeah. now in this case, now I have to go like, you know, literally a hundred blocks away to this depot and go pick up my my delivery. And it's like that's yeah. I don't know. This is the opposite of convenience. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, Nick, I don't know. Have you, what's your experience with getting things delivered to your, I guess, because you live in an apartment, right? Is Nick still there? I can't tell. I, can't. I don't think he is. I don't think he is. Crap. My, my mic was <laughs> muted and I just forgot about it. So I started talking to you and you're like, Nick, Nick, where are you? Are you even still here? I'm like, yes, yes, I'm still here. Why can't, oh, <laughs> so that's what just happened there but our building uh our landlady actually seems pretty on the ball for accepting deliveries okay okay because i've i think only once and it was in 2013 once did i have to go somewhere to pick something up okay that's good but usually like i'll walk in and she'll go oh wait wait you got a delivery it's right here <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> she that, like she yelled me down when I got this laptop delivered here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, she's she's pretty good. Yeah, when we lived in our old condo building, we had a concierge service added a couple of years after we started living there, and he when UPS drivers and Purelater drivers came up to to the door because you have to actually get buzzed in to deliver anything. He'd usually try to catch them and say, oh, hey, I can accept it. Um, and then he'll just keep it behind his desk and he'll leave a note on your mailbox and say, there's a package at the concierge desk for you. So right. that was, I guess, the workaround for for not being available to accept a delivery. Um, and the other thing, too, I guess, on that note is living in a condo building, you have to provide a buzzer code with your delivery info which often doesn't make it to the delivery driver for one reason or another. So yeah, that was our biggest issue is that we'd literally be sitting, looking out the window for the truck. And then that 30 minutes where you're not, they're like, Oh yeah, we tried delivering. There were times, <laughs> there were times where we literally sat by the window all day, didn't see yeah. one delivery truck. And on that like delivery status, it says attempted delivery. It's like, uh, no, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, Oh, actually he, couldn't find your place or whatever it's like it's like there's a phone number on the thing why can't you just yeah and there's no repercussions yeah 
Oh, but that, that's why I really like this idea of the flex delivery because it's like it's a post office. It's always there. It has set hours. Someone's going to be there. But yeah. there's that other hurdle of the PO box that spoiled me. Yeah. I'm excited to try it, but I'm excited for anywhere that ships to Canada is pretty quickly going to have to get on board with the fact that this virtual P.O. box is not the same yeah. thing as a P.O. box. Like a P.O. box, well, it, my understanding of a P.O. box is it's a like there's a wall of boxes and you most of the time you physically can't fit stuff into the, the P.O. box. Like you get a small box. It fits letters and it's for like people accepting fan mail and that kind of thing. Yeah. But this virtual po- like a post office acting as a virtual PO box for a bunch of people there's not going to be a physical box it's going right. to be a package tagged with a barcode right. that they have to go and get yeah the way that the PO box address is given in the flex delivery site is it says PO box whatever and mm-hmm. then there's like a code following that yeah that identifies you as the recipient so it's almost like a sub PO box. It's like the PO box means flex delivery. So yep. the number means flex delivery, whatever. Then the following characters is your ID to de- identify you. So when you yep. go to pick up your package, they'll look you up by name or whatever. And then it gives that little ending code. And then that's how they go and get your package. So I don't think each person has their own PO box number per se. Right, is all the same PO box number, and then that code at the end is what identifies you as that person. So that I guess in that sense, it is a virtual PO box. Yeah, but yeah, it, I think it's going to take a lot of education for companies to kind of realize that it's not. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't um, know why the I don't know why they have rules against PO boxes to begin with, but yeah, it's, it's weird. Not weird but. It might be size related, possibly. But, yeah. There's a there's a service that I used at one point. Actually, it was to get the first set I had of uh, Plantronics uh, Backbeat Go headphones, the Bluetooth headphones I have, called Bongo International, and it it's basically just a it's a th- a place like a building right on the border between the U.S. and Canada. Uh, maybe not right on the border, but near the border. And so, if I want to sh- get something delivered to myself, they're like a proxy shipper. I think is the generic term for it. Like I wanted to order something that was in Florida. And so they ship it to, I think it was in Connecticut somewhere, and then they'll receive it and then they'll ship it to me. And so I have like a, it's a normal mailing address, but then it also has a, uh, an ID number or something tagged on it. And so they know to send it to this customer. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah. It's, it's those ones where they only ship to us addresses, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What service but is that? Because I'd actually fine. be interested in. It's pretty expensive. Oh, is uh, it? <laughs> do you find it worth it? Like paying for that for the benefit of getting the U.S. only stuff. I did for that one thing, just because I really wanted a pair of back um, the Bluetooth earbuds. Okay. But uh, it's not something I would do on a regular basis. Oh, okay, I think what I'd find it useful for is stuff like eBay or Amazon where you want to order through their US site and some products are either only on there or they're way cheaper on the US site. Yeah. Like just a lot of services have US only addresses and you can get them for a lot cheaper if you do that. And sometimes there are products you can literally only get through that service. So you might, yeah, it might justify paying a bit extra to have someone, like you said, ship it on your behalf Yeah, to you. But 
Yeah. It was it was like fifty percent more or something. It was it probably I probably shouldn't have done it. I should have just waited, but I couldn't. Those those headphones got me too excited. Fifty percent more than what? Like it was like they the cost a hundred dollars. They cost a hundred dollars and it cost me like fifty bucks to get it sent. Oh wow. Because there was customs and the proxy delivery charge. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. It's fine. <laughs> I was I was satisfied that I that it worked, but yeah. I probably wouldn't do it the same way again. Right. Uh, was there anything else that uh, either you guys wanted to say? Are you guys in a hurry? Because there's a couple things that I could still probably talk about. Is there any pressing stuff from the stuff we didn't get to in weeks past? I don't know. We could probably go to twelve thirty if you wanted. At least for 1230. me. Twelve thirty. Yeah. All right. Yes. Um. Okay, Nick, I'll, I'll start with this one from you. Um, you want to talk about the food, babe? <laughs> That's been I there for like a talk month. About the food, babe. I know. Yeah, it it has. Um, I don't know. It's just uh, like it's not just about the food, babe, but it was just an article on CBC talking about how many people are having the facts catch up with them, like food, babe got subway to take out an ingredient in the bread oh that was her bread or something like that yeah yeah oh, that was her. okay and you know they were talking about had she done any like granted she looked into the list of ingredients found something she couldn't pronounce and then googled that probably found an msds which was like you know this can cause <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know it was like lung cancer or something like that and she went oh, it does what and i think it was one of those things where like you know if you are in a factory and breathing it without respiratory right. protection it'll yeah. cause problems but you know if you're eating it in bread it's not an issue right and you know dose makes the poison that whole thing i'd have to Click on this link to actually refresh myself on azodicarbonamide is the apparently the name. Although that I feel like I remember it being a slightly different name. But basically, like it's a it's a thickener that they use to thicken bread, and it's perfectly fine. And it's also an ingredient in the making of yoga mats, right? That is used to thicken that. <laughs> it's like, come on, this is not yeah. a chemical that is used to make yoga mats. That it's it's a chemical that used to thicken things and it's perfectly healthy for consumption. Yeah. But, uh, and then the other thing in the article is Belle Gibson, the young Australian woman behind the whole pantry who built a small media empire writing about health and nutrition after she supposedly beat terminal cancer with diet and lifestyle changes. <laughs> Turns out that's impossible. Yep. Cause she, she admitted she'd never had cancer and wow, for fans of, Last week tonight, you will know about Doctor Oz. Yep. I think everyone knows about Doctor Oz, but no, no, you'll you'll know about him coming before the U.S. Senate. Oh, okay. And them demanding answers, like, so you said this on your show. Well, you want to back it up, please? <laughs> you like you are a doctor. You know that there is no evidence for this. So, uh, do you have anything to say for yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. 
Well, then apparently Doctor Phil's not even a doctor. Like well, he's, he's a doctor of economics. Yeah, is he? Like he has yeah. a PhD. Oh, okay, but apparently he's, I think it was some state was like, please don't call yourself a doctor. Texas, gonna, Texas has Texas? issued yeah. like at least a couple cease and desist orders. Yeah, saying like if you're calling yourself a doctor in the context of Medical psychological advice. treatment yeah. or whatever, yeah, you absolutely need to stop doing that because you are purposefully misleading people. Yeah, but yeah, so yeah. it's just it was putting together a bunch of a bunch of stories about people who are making just ridiculous claims and the actual science is finally catching up with them. And they're going, yeah, yeah it, it turns out this person is actually an idiot. Like who, and the big it? quote in this article that's blown way up is quote, anyone can call themselves a nutritionist. Yeah. Says dietitian, Jennifer Saigo. Right. <laughs> The actual thing that needs a degree. Yeah. 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 Like I could call myself a nutritionist. And you should. Totally. You guys want to give me a buck? I could then be a professional uh, <laughs> nutritionist. Sure. We can do that. Um, so before we go, I just want to say one more thing. Uh, and that is. We talked a lot in last week about cars and self-driving cars and traffic. And I just want to remind people of something that people in charge of infrastructure and transportation have known for a really long time. It's a fundamental rule of traffic that the more roads you build and the more lanes these roads have, it seems like you're going to reduce traffic by doing that, but all you're really going to do is make people buy more cars and the people who have cars drive more miles on roads. And so you can increase the capacity all you want, but all you're going to do is increase the number of cars on the roads and traffic is going to traffic levels are going to stay the exact same on all the roads they would have taken. I, I, it baffles my mind that people know this, like this is a known fact. and. Uh, it just gets ignored when they build new extensions and use the rule, use the logic. Oh, well we're adding lanes. So we're going to reduce traffic congestion. No, you're just going to make everyone commute more. Like you're going to make them drive on those roads more. And you're never going to have like busy roads are never going to be less busy because you add more lanes to them. Mm -hmm. So more people driving there. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that specific, uh, I don't know, piece of knowledge, I guess that was brought up a lot, uh, especially with when Rob Ford was mayor of Toronto. Yeah. Cause you know, they're talking about traffic expansion, stuff like that, but they were saying, no, like you need to enhance subways, light rail, pedestrians, like uh, pedestrianism walking. Yeah. Pedestrian rates. I don't know what you'd call it, but, uh, you need to enhance those other things because building more roads just means that there's more space for cars to take. Yeah. And traffic tends to increase or decrease with the road. Yeah. Like, uh, <sighs> I think Atlanta is a case study because Atlanta has just 
tons and tons and tons of roads. And yeah. it's still a gridlocked city because everybody drives. Yeah. And the more sprawl you get, the more people drive. Like it's, yeah, there are all mm-hmm. kinds of factors, but we know that adding new lanes to roads doesn't reduce any traffic on those roads. No. Yeah. Yeah. That was all I wanted to say on that. And people get oh. very angry about adding bike lanes. <laughs> so angry. <laughs> I don't get it. Have you guys, do either of you listen to the irrelevant show? No. no. Sounds irrelevant. Oh my God. They had, they did an episode in Calgary and I'm trying to find it right now. Is it they a podcast? A, yeah. Okay. They had a song about, it kind of ruins the initial part of the song if you hear it. Okay. But it's a song on designated bike lanes and you should absolutely listen to it because it's hilarious. <laughs> okay. Well, if you find it, we'll put a link to it. Uh, it looks like January 14th and 21st recorded it in Calgary. I just put the uh, link in the group chat. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. And I think Mike will really appreciate it because he also won't. lives right. here. And I don't know, Rob's like Ottawa now. Yeah. Yep. I sure am. Mike, have you seen the new bike lanes going in on 12th Ave? I was at, I was at like a little info thing set up in the plus 15 downtown. Oh, yeah. The one thing I didn't like is that they're going to allow bike traffic through Stephen Avenue in the middle of the day as a, as oh, a yeah. detour from whatever connector from like the east side of downtown to the west side. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And I just thought that was a really bad idea because I, they're, they're like, oh, well, the, in heavy traffic, the cyclist should know to dismount and just walk their bike. I'm like, yeah, they're not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, no, the people that ride on the sidewalks now, like, they're not dismounting and walking. I don't see why they. No, that, exactly. Yeah. There's going to be people to move. But. The, I don't know. I find, I kind of found the one on 12th odd because it's like 11th and 12th. are both one way uh, streets going in the opposite direction. And I've used them frequently mm-hmm. and I kind of like them because you can, well, I don't know. You can cruise along in the rightmost lane and it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. You just wait for a break in traffic if you need to get over to the other side. And I don't know how much you've ridden a bike in downtown Calgary, but especially on 11th, it seems like it kind of flows in waves with the, I don't know, with the traffic light activation. Okay. So I've always like, I, I use it to go to the Safeway on yeah. 11th. Yeah. And often what happens is I can just cruise along and I'll wait for a big wave of traffic to go past me. And then if you just look around, there is nobody else on the street anymore. Right. And you can just like do it, do so safely, but go across all the lanes and get into the grocery store parking lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they've, they've, uh, I thought that was really convenient, but they've put in segregated bike lanes. So we'll see how that goes. Cool. Yeah. You guys ready to wrap for the week? Ready, I think ready. So. All right. Uh, well, in that case, we'll 
Thanks for listening to this almost two hours. We'll uh, talk to you next week. See you guys. Toodaloo. Oh, let me see if I can hold on. We're not being viewed anymore, so I'll just. Well, yeah. There we go. Are you taking your pants off, Nick? (laughs) Oh, they're already off. (laughs) Um, I hope we're recording all of this because I sure am. (laughs) (laughs) I actually am. I'll go ahead and stop that now.